0: Today we conclude our five-part mini-sermon series through Isaiah chapter 55, a series that we're calling Feast. Before I read our focus today, which is verse 12 and 13, by which I'll preach today, I want to remind us where we've been and what has been proclaimed so far in Isaiah 55, starting with verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. A nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. (coughs) Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In today's passage, verse 12 and 13. The word of our Lord, Isaiah 55. Look with me first at a feast of eternal joy and peace. For you shall go out in joy. Verse 12 begins. Who is the you? For you shall go out in joy. The you is everyone who thirsts in God. Everyone who thirsts that God invites to the waters. It is he who has no money that God invites to come and buy and eat without money. It is the wicked person who forsakes their sinful ways and their unrighteous thoughts. Verse 7, we see that. Verse 3, We, it is those who incline their ear and come to Jesus so their soul may live. It is those whom God has made an everlasting covenant. It is the person who will enjoy the feast of God with God forever. Let me ask you this morning, does this describe you? Has God awakened your soul with a thirst that only he can satisfy. Have you clearly seen that you are spiritually and morally broke and therefore desperate for Jesus alone? Have you seen the depth of your sin before the glory and the holiness of God? Have you inclined your ear to the gospel and trusted your life to Jesus? Then it is you whom God has made an everlasting covenant with. It is with you whom today's text applies in verse 12 and 13. As we close the chapter today, there's a few aspects of the eternal feast of God that are good news to those who have truly trusted Jesus with their lives. The first, as we see in the text today, being true joy. Look with me. For you shall go out in joy. As Isaiah writes, there, is, there has been seasons of deliverance and, and seasons of, of joy for the Israelite people. When they were delivered from Pharaoh, surely was one, out of slavery and bondage. Delivered from Babylon and their exile in the coming season. But ultimately, all these things point to true and lasting joy found in the Messiah, in Christ alone. As long as we are dependent on our performance, we will struggle and we will long to know what true and lasting joy is, as we look too much to temporary things to be fulfilled but in Christ is lasting joy. In his new covenant, we have an everlasting joy. Church, you need to see your identity in Christ, and it needs to speak truth into your life in any moment of trial or struggle or temptation. To know joy that will not fade away or be taken from us. Because it's not linked to circumstances. It's not built on a foundation of temporary things. Jesus himself was clear to say that for a time, while we are on mission for his name in this place, in this generation, we will experience sorrow. But we must know it is only for a time to give in to that sorrow, to give in to loss or hurt or despair based on temporary things is to set aside the truth of who we are in Christ. It is to set aside the joy that is built on the foundation of Christ. He has said in John 16, 20 through 22, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Even in a wonderful illustration given of a baby born by which we can greatly connect the point being made, even that is, in, is not infallible. The baby can take a breath and die. Hope cannot be in the created things. It must be in the eternal. It must be in Christ alone. To know true and lasting joy. There is an already but not yet reality to the joy we have in Christ. Many times the scriptures speak of our joy being complete in Christ alone. But God's word also says that we will experience sorrow in the midst of our ministry in this time. Yet, that sorrow and struggle is built on a foundation of joy in Christ. This is how Paul is able to say in 2 Corinthians 6.10 that he is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. In contrast to the joy we have in Christ, the world's joy is very much based on circumstances. When things are good, we're good. And when things are bad, we're undone. And if this sounds like you, then you're missing what it is to know the joy we have in Christ. Because the joy we have in Christ is based on his completed work on our behalf. We've done nothing to earn it. We are His in every way. Our eternal prize is secure in Him. First Peter 1, 4 and 5, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope, not a fleeting hope, not a momentary hope, not a coming and going hope a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we've been singing about this morning, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be received in the last time. It's secure. It's yours in Christ's it's guarded by the power of God. Verse 12, you shall go out in joy. Let these truths change the way you do life. Don't, don't let this just be religion on Sunday morning. Don't, don't turn it in to something so man-made, let the power of God this morning reorient your soul and your, your, your feet onto the rock of the truths of who you are in Christ to break through sin and selfishness and temptation and flesh and the world's agenda and the lies we believe. You shall go out in joy. But listen to what Peter says next in verse 6 of this passage. In this you rejoice. In this reality that it's secure by the power of God that he's caused you to be born again and you have a living hope in him. All of that. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So don't wrongly think that true and lasting joy means absence of struggle, absence of temptation, absence of trials, that you're not listening to the word, you're not listening to the loving counsel of God in, His, in Jesus' words, in the apostles' words, if necessary. Do you catch that? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What this means is if God decides it's necessary. Remember, God's will and word goes out of his mouth, as we studied last week, and it will not return empty to him. It shall accomplish that which he purposes it, and shall succeed in the thing by which he sends it. That's verse 11. Our lives are his. His will be done in our lives. So, Christian, don't let it ever become about you. No, God, I don't want that. Take it back, God. Who are you to tell him? Who owns you? Who bought you? If he wills, if he deems it necessary, you would walk through it in joy. Depending on Christ, realizing it's likely given to you so that your testimony will be put on display. To bring forth in and through you eternal purposes in this day, to not just let you coast through. God, don't give our church just normal days. Put us to work. Let us be used by you and your holy plan for your eternal purposes. And if you're finding yourself going, ah, I'm just tired. I, I just, I'm, I'm just, you're looking to yourself. Don't look to yourself. Yeah, you by yourself are tired. Or out of gas. Look to Christ. Continue to step in Christ. Continue to be reoriented to the truth of his word. The great victory of the enemy is to get into your head and get into your worldview with, with the perception of man. Later in chapter 4, verse 19, 1 Peter 4, 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will, according to God's will, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good, not to, pull the ripcord, not to turn away. Is that hard? Absolutely it's hard. I tried to share with you last week how hard it's been in our journey of loving a little girl that could not be ours, could could be taken away by the state, that we could not adopt, and going, why? Why is the system so broken? Why does it have to be like this? and just continue to realize that you know what the the, the why is not probably nothing to do with the system or anyone else it has to do with us it has to do with God saying here's an opportunity for your faith to be put on display for the gospel to shine bright if he wills if it's necessary in his perfect plan who am i to say no easier better for me my plan that's selfishness that that's glory to me that's that's forget God's glory, forget God's plan. That that's make it about me. And, and I think this, when you see it rightly, this is good news because the suffering and the various trials that we go through is not outside of God's sovereign hand. This is good news for our heart because it means that we're not forgotten in our struggles or in our exile. It means that. We face what we face is only what God deems is necessary. And since we're His and He is God and we are eternally His and victorious in Christ, we can be assured that what He deems necessary is necessary. Trust Him. The difference between Christian exiles and the world's citizens is we have a joy in Christ despite our trials, despite the sorrows we face. Our struggle is not our end. It doesn't undo us. There is a hope we hold on to that rises us through the struggle, through the pain, clinging to Christ. It's a living hope, a joy in the midst of the trials and pain that's based on that living hope, rising to the top, carrying us through the tears. And we need each other. We need the word, Man, I pray you're in the Word. Don't stop getting in the Word. You need the Word to reorient your soul to these truths because your flesh wants to cling to other things, cling to lies and call them truths. We need each other. We need to continue to let the body love us and reorient us and press us into these truths. Psalm thirty-four, nineteen: many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Amen. Hear this today neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament promises that believers will escape affliction in this life for God in his sovereignty uses our suffering for eternal things eternal plans to carry out his purposes for his glory and our good. This is good news. So we will have joy. Verse 12 also says we will have peace. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Oh, how this is good news. Why? Because we are desperate for real and lasting peace. Why? Because our sin causes anxiety upon anxiety. Psalm 38, 18. I am full of anxiety. Because of my sin. Will you get better at saying that, please, when you're anxious? Say it. I'm anxious because of my sin. Connect it to why you're anxious. It's sin to make war with that, to recenter yourself in who you are in Christ, to get to get a hold of the peace you have in Christ, that that anxiety because of sin would not derail you, not sway you, not move you. Man doesn't have the power not to stress, not to worry in ourselves. Why? Because man is sinful. There will be no peace in your life without the God of peace. The good news is, Isaiah 53, a couple chapters before, verse 5, he, speaking of Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions, for our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Romans five one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter five seven. Cast all your anxiety on Him, for He cares for you. Psalm fifty five twenty two. Cast your burden on the Lord. And he will sustain you. Philippians 4 6 through 9. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You see that you're anxious about something. The word says that's going to happen. What do you do with it? Take it to prayer. And as you take it to prayer, be thankful to God for all that he is and all that he's done in you. Remind yourself of the good news. Let it flood your soul. Tell him what you need. Be honest with what's on your heart. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice And the God of peace will be with you. This whole passage is reminding us, don't put your focus and your cling onto what is making you anxious. Put your focus and your cling onto God in the midst of that anxiety that's trying to chase you down. Be reoriented to who you are in him. Let that peace of God, which doesn't add up in logical sense, it's beyond our understanding, is what the text says. But what a great gift. Just gives you that holy peace. And just see, church, that's a big part of your testimony. When unbelievers are looking at you left and right, they're going, you're going through X, Y, and Z, and yet you are at peace. Why? The only answer is Jesus, not me. Not, not my new haircut, not, not a new self-help cut book I read, not, not whatever else we might be excited about. No, Jesus, I'm, it's Jesus. It's who I am in Jesus, what he's doing in me. Verse 7, the peace of God will guard your hearts. Verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. I've said it before, it's a critical understanding that's been huge for my own life. It is one thing for you to seek the peace of God. The peace of God. That peace that God gives. To want that, to long for it. And it's an entirely different thing to seek the God of peace. One you can make an idol of. The other is the only source of real peace. If your ultimate aim is just the peace of God, you're, you're trying to use God to get to something else. You first must long for and look to the God of peace to know the peace of God. And how often we flip those two around. You must first seek the God of peace before you can know the peace of God. Many of you here today are desperately seeking the peace of God. Peace from your constant worries and struggles and stresses and, 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 and. But there's good news. You too can be led forth in peace. Isaiah 55, 12. That's why the phrase be led forth is important you shall be led forth in peace. This implies that we have a leader, a commander, spoken of in verse 4, who will lead us and help us, who we can trust, one who will be victorious, bring the peace we long for. So God is planning that inside, you will be at peace forever. And he's planning that outside, there will be peace forever. No more terrorism, no more war, no more abortion, no more rape, no more arson, no more fraud, no more slander, or any discord. And we will be led forth in peace. And that leader is named the Prince of Peace. The God of Peace, as we've mentioned. Jesus Christ. There are three kinds of people in the room. Those who deny Jesus is Lord and therefore have no true or lasting peace. Those who believe Jesus is Lord and know the true and lasting peace that only he can bring. And there's a third. Those who believe Jesus is Lord but at the end of the day you do not truly trust him. Or remain faithful to him. And therefore you do not know his lasting peace. Because you're still looking for the temporary to define you. And you're trusting your self-made remedies to find your way. And I pray as you journey with us. You see the difference between saying I believe Jesus is Lord. And truly walking in faith. Trusting in him as Lord not saying it and then turning to your own self-made way. That is religion and missing the gospel altogether. The gospel that redefines, that reorients us in every way. I pray this morning that you will truly trust completely in Jesus. Only in Christ can you find rest for your weary soul. Only in Christ is there forgiveness for your sins and joy that is lasting instead of fleeting. Find a new identity that no longer is based on your record, but based on his, in Christ. Look at the third part of verse 12. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. The passage is talking about the people of God's deliverance unto the eternal feast, going forth in peace, going forth in joy. And part of verse 12 here is saying, all of nature will rejoice at our deliverance, especially the noblest and the grandest parts of nature, the mountains and the hills. Isaiah, our author here, holds high in admiration for the grand part of God's creation in the mountains, continually throughout his writings, mentioning nature bursting forth in singing and worship of God. We see this in the Psalms as well. A great and clear place we see it is in Psalm 98, 4 through 9. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and the lyre And with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. All of this points to the fact that God will be worshipped in his creation for who he is and for what he has done. Creation will be redeemed as well. Look with me now at verse 13 and let's see how even creation will be redeemed in this eternal feast of the king. They too will be part of the, the holy and eternal choir of worship to God. Let this be good news to us, church, in a a day, in an age where the world rages in sin and suffering. When the mountains and the hills, when will the mountains and the hills break forth into singing? Verse 13, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. A, A context of all the scripture helps us understand this. How? When Adam sinned in Genesis 3, a curse came on all of creation. Part of that curse was man's labor to be made hard and frustrating by thorns and briars. Look at Genesis three seventeen and 18. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field in addition to this and I won't go there for the sake of time but tell you that Isaiah chapter 5 speaks of God bringing forth judgment on Israel for her lack of faithfulness and the terms used is briars and thorns or to overgrow an unfruitful vineyard to cover the land of God's people. And really, throughout God's narrative of all the Scripture, briars and thorns represent a general state of wickedness and sin, judgment, curse. Cypress and myrtle represent joyful condition of life. So I think what Isaiah fifty-five thirteen is talking about is when the curse will be lifted. It's pointing to the feast. Thorns and briars will be done away with, and in their place will come things of beauty and strength, and useful, the cypress, the myrtle. The last line of verse 13 shows that this promise has to do with more than just a brief change in agriculture. This change is for an everlasting sign, which will not be cut off. We'll get to that in a second. But what has been promised here is a major world change when the curse is lifted and all of creation supports human life instead of making it hard. This is the kingdom of God reestablished in the the new earth, the new heavens the new earth. This is the dawn of the eternal feast that we will enjoy with God forever. A quick side note, note to see how likely God is painting these pictures throughout the narrative in his most holy and sovereign ways. It's an observation. It's not didactic, but is it a coincidence that when Jesus suffered to bear the curse of sin and remove it from his people, he wore a crown of thorns? was this not a graphic way of saying he's carrying the curse for you? Even the curse of the ground. So that one day you could sit under the cypress soft green grass, no thorns anymore to worship the king. Let the reminders of how the world and sin rage Against you points you the good news of Jesus, to eternity with him, to give you a living hope. The weather's been beautiful lately. Uh, the air is wonderful, and the colors are blooming. the grass is forth, and a little janky swing set that we found online we brought forth for little ones to play on in our backyard. And the other day I told him, I said, hey, take Piper out in the, on the grass and just, just play. Now he looked at me and said, but daddy, grass is full of stickers. And already, I mean, the grass has been wonderfully taken care of, but already just in the spring, in the midst of the beauty, is the reminder of the fall. To the point where my girls are dissuaded from playing on the green grass of being undone by that let us be reminded of what is to come who we are in Christ let us hope in Jesus alone The joy and peace we have in him the, the reality of no more thorns and thistles but cypress and myrtle this is good news church there is coming a day when all the pain and bloodshed and hostility and tragedy will be over Revelation 21, 4 describes it like this God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more abductions. No more massacres. No more bloodshed. No more earthquakes. Isaiah 2:4 says there will be, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore one day and perhaps very soon The last trumpet, the king will return. Son of man will ascend, power and the glory of God. The dead in Christ will be raised with glorious new bodies. The Lord will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers and throw them into the furnace of fire. There man will weep and gnash their teeth then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Paraphrases of multiple places throughout the word of God. And we shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. Psalm 36.8. So creation will be redeemed and we'll worship God and the people of God will be redeemed and we'll worship God. The last part of the verse highlights the way we worship God in these things. And it shall make a name for the Lord. In our sin, we don't make a name for the Lord. We make a name for ourselves. Genesis four eleven one through 4. The whole earth had one language and the same words and people migrated from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a, a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So what we have here is is our arrogance and sin, our disobedience on display. They wanted to build a tower to the heavens to make a name for themselves. In other words, forget God, forget his name. Forget his plan for mankind to spread amongst the earth and be fruitful and multiply and subdue it. We have a better plan. I have a better plan for my life. The massive problem with this sinful plan is that it's in opposition to the master's plan. And we just won't overcome the master's plan. And all throughout the scriptures, we see that phrase or that notion lifted again and again that we we exist, we continue to make much of the name of the Lord among the nations. Even in the things we don't understand, even in the things that... I mean, to be an Israelite in the day of Pharaoh, to have all of your people enslaved to the rule of one who claimed to be God to erect of themselves false God images, the whole thing was satanic. It didn't glorify God, and yet God was in the midst of it all. What was his purpose? Exodus 9.16, For this purpose I have raised you up, speaking of Pharaoh. God raised up Pharaoh, to show you my power that my name may, may be proclaimed in all the earth. I mean, do you realize how much worse it could be for us? We complain of a nation undone. We don't know what it is to be under the tyranny of a leader that kills us at his whim that drives us in shackles to carry massive rocks to build temples for him to have our children to we don't know that kind of enslavement church we don't know what it is to have our loved ones killed stolen May we walk in faith in God. May we not be undone by our realities, by our circumstances. May who God is and how we understand him of his holy word drive us forth in faith. 2 Chronicles, Chronicles 6.32, likewise, Solomon's co- he's committing the temple. And all of this is so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. Malachi 1.11, from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations, and every place instance will be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God blesses his people. He endures his people. He continues his people. He will preserve the line of Christ unto Jesus who came to save the saints, set us free. Why? To make much of his name among the nations. But there's a problem. And it's something we people do again and again in our sin. Malachi 1.12 says, For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it. Ezekiel 36, 20-21, when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Israelites were guilty of taking the blessings of God and making them about themselves. I mean that, that that is so much of our constant issue is we make it about ourselves. We take God's provisions and his blessings and all that he's doing and done. And they used it on themselves. Can I lovingly admonish our church again in the 11th hour before we move into a brand new state-of-the-art, amazing facility that it would not be used for ourselves, that we not make it about us, that we not make it about the building? The building's not the prize. God is the prize. It is only a vehicle to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. That's it. As excited as we are about it, I challenge you, how much more focused are you in these days about getting time with people who need a solid church or who need Jesus? It's got to continue to be about the mission. How much time are you still spending in discipleship? Doing the work. Who are you inviting? Have you had them over to dinner yet? Are you setting the table for that? There's, there's three billboards up in town now. Huge. 20 foot wide massive Disciples Church Grand Opening. Radio spots are flying. Mailers are about to go out. Facebook ad campaigns are about to start rolling. thousands of dollars spent you know how much all that likely will produce this much you know how much you'll all produce by inviting praying for spending time and drawing in no more seats left to fill the house it's just statistically the reality and I just pray God don't let us waste this season So I just want us to be faithful. What God does with that is up to Him. God may very likely having us be a couple hundred member church for many decades to come, and that's the way by which we will be quality in making disciples. And if that's the case, so be it. But let us not keep it to ourselves. Let us not make it just about ourselves. Let us make much of His name Finally, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Church, we need to see that the feast of God is secure for eternity. We need to see God's hand to redeem a people that will glorify his name forever. To see his hand, his power as the divine walls of protection that surround the heavenly feast. It is the hand of God that makes it secure, that assures we will not be cut off. John ten twenty seven 27-29, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And by God's grace and work, we are saved. By God's grace and work, we are kept. First Peter 1, 3-5, I want to read this again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It's an everlasting sign. The people of God, redeemed by God, under the feast of God, will never be cut off. Will there be... Struggle and suffering in our exile, yes. But he is active in guarding us, keeping us. Not just in heaven for eternity, but now in our exile. Our security is in God's infallible commitment to fulfill the conditions of our eternal standing with him. By grace, he caused us to be born again. By creating our faith, giving it to us as a gift by grace. He protects us on our way to heaven, preserves our faith. The doctrine of the perseverance of the the saints is one of the most precious truths of Scripture to the born-again Christian. It is a great comfort to know and hope in and rest in the truth that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Philippians 1.6 I pray, I pray you know and trust Jesus as Lord, and not just of your salvation, but of your life. That you walk in true joy and peace, that you make much of the name of Jesus to the nations for as long as God deems it necessary. And that we look to the feast with great anticipation knowing that as we wait, it's secure, it is sure, it is protected and prepared in the perfection and the power of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and these five weeks to study this beautiful chapter, the Old Testament. I thank you, Lord, for the, the depth of the truths that reign throughout your holy word that we see again and again lifted forth in the small words of this little chapter, for the work that you're doing, even in your sovereign plan, the appointment that you made for each of us today, the Holy Spirit to do its work, to love us well, to convict us of sin, to reorient our thinking, to bring us under real repentance and faithful action and trust in you, even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of great loss, that we would stay faithful to you that we be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us for your holy name. And that we look forward with great anticipation to this glorious celebration of God. That all of its components and the beauty of the new creation and the, the choir of creation celebrating you, the, the feast before us is all to point all parts of our minds and our lives and our hearts. To God, that you are the prize. You are worthy. And so hear us, Lord. Sing of the promises, sing of your deliverance, and worship you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.